It's a great pleasure for me to introduce our next speaker, Daryl Hamamoto, PhD, Professor of Asian American Studies at the University of California, Davis, who has published extensively on the representation of Asian Americans in films and on TV, especially in relation to political issues and freedom of expression. Uh, this presentation is going to illustrate the boundaries of academic freedom in America, which are so hotly contested today. Daryl, very pleased to have you here. Professor Fetzer, thank you so much for the invitation to be with you this evening. I look forward to this conversation. Well, here's my uh, affiliation. As Professor Fetzer mentioned already, I've been at this uh, particular academic department about 20 years now. I've been at UC Davis for 20 years, and I've been here and there prior for 10, 15 years prior to that, bouncing around. And uh, for the past uh, 10 years, but really five years uh, in an intense level, uh, I have been at the vanguard of this political repression that we've seen peak last year. And I say peak because there's going to be a new wave, a new strategy that's going to be brought in. And I'd like to preview that strategy exclusively for your audience here this evening. The social justice warrior model has petered out. The LGBTQA uh, vanguard has now been put into abeyance. And now there's a new one that I'll tell you about uh, at the end of this presentation. So let's go through these graphics here, and I'll quickly go through my, my scholarship because I think it's very important to, to establish the fact that I'm a credible, reputable, nationally known and recognized and respected scholar, intellectual, and internationally as well. I've had uh, Fulbright fellowships, uh, this and that, you name it. I've been uh, visiting professor, visiting research at various institutions around the world and around the country. So, Stephen, if you can go to the first graphic, I'll quickly go through my first, very first book that was published. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we're standing here. This is me in a more um, whimsical mood holding a dollar bill, standing next to the Illuminati egghead by a local sculptor by the name of Robert Arneson. And Marat Hall is, I thought it was really the focal point of where all this um, censorship and political repression was being orchestrated. That's where the shot callers are sitting. They're, they're real uh, system-wide shot callers, however, in Oakland. And their president is uh, Janet Napolitano, who was formerly the head of the Department of, of Homeland Security. And above that, it's probably come from the Pentagon. But, and I, I mentioned this because towards the end of the presentation, I came across the true source of academic repression, and it's one of the most least likely physical spaces that you would imagine uh, that the university is exploiting in order to silence and put out people such as me. So there's the Illuminati agenda there. And, and as I mentioned in other presentations outside of this one, and Professor Fetzer, you know this as well as I do, but for the benefit of your audience, the university is an occult institution. It began as one, and it never changed, except today the, the ones who are in charge are the technocrats, the scientists, the modern-day, the, the latter-day alchemists. 
and there's um, it's the same situation. There are certain small groups that have a lot to benefit materially from the knowledge, information, and wisdom that is kept occulted, that is hidden away. So when you have someone like me come about, who they thought was relatively harmless, because after all, I'm only an Oriental, who's an Asian American studies ghetto, doing media studies. That's the least of what I do, by the way. It's an con important contribution, but uh, I'm much more than that. So let's go to the next uh, graphic, Stephen, if you would. This is my very first book. I, I'm a product of the television generation. And my first book was called Nervous Laughter, which is an attempt to make sense of the impact that television culture has made on not just American society, but globally, especially today in the age of internet and HBO and uh, Apple and you name it. American content, that's really our biggest triumph. Uh, not military, not, uh, well, you can, it plays into economics, but our cultural exports and uh, domestic consumption of this type of material, good and bad and indifferent, is really, to me, what defines what the American experience is. So I've been very interested in this. I should say in passing that I have a master's degree in popular culture studies from Bowling Green State University. And I mention this because from a very early stage of my career, my strategy, if you want to call it that, it wasn't even a strategy at this point, my ambition at this point was to fill in the gaps that I perceived uh, that were in formal higher education, in my education. Fortunately, I had some really, really good professors at uh, Cal State Long Beach. Yes, I'm only a Cal State product, but uh, the Cal State Long Beach had an excellent academic program uh, during the time I was there. And thanks to a couple of professors, they said, yeah, popular culture is a legitimate area of study. Today, everybody understands it. And today, everybody claims to have some sort of expertise in it. But I indeed have the credentials as well as the commitment and the encyclopedic knowledge of classical as well as new media that um, cannot be gainsaid in any quarters. In fact, the only way the administration has been able to hold me down is on something called civility. That's the big buzzword, and that's uh, something we're going to challenge uh, in a public forum and perhaps court of law very soon, what they mean by civility. Is that just a code word for censorship? Yes, perhaps it is. So that's my first book. And Stephen, next one, please. This uh, next book, I turn more, my attention more specifically to uh, Asian Americans in media representation. And this book came out many years ago, but it's the issues that I raise are still germane, they're still salient, that uh, the media environment has improved slightly for Asian Americans, but we're still lacking uh, in the area of producers, executive producers, and definitely in ownership and the higher levels of mainstream corporate media. And my solution to that, that I've been telling my students for the past 20 years, is to get into ownership yourself. And over the past 10 years in particular, the uh, revolution in home computing and software has, and YouTube um, services such as this and uh, Vimeo and Facebook, if I can, <laughs> I'm not trying to promote them anyway. In fact, I'm thinking of terminating my account. This, these are all different new media uh, opportunities that people can get heard much more easily than they have in the past. So there's no excuse that people have anymore 
whatever background you have, your only excuse is yourself, right? And by the way, I mentioned this because this is also something that uh, the administration and my department colleagues in Asian American studies don't want to hear. They do not want to hear a message of student, real, authentic, genuine student political economic empowerment. What they want to hear is a fake narrative of social justice wannabe consciousness, which I'll get to a little bit later. But when you talk about ownership, when you talk about do it yourself, and when you talk about uh, let's not have an ethnic pity party. Let's not play into the, the victimage sweepstakes, just like the university and the larger society wants you to engage in. Then you become a threat. And I think that's one of the reasons why they hired me 20 years ago is that I would just provide a culture of complaint, if I may use that phrase, for Asian American students who the university and the larger society and the corporations will just be able to use and exploit accordingly. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Stephen, can we move to the next one? So, this is a very well-received book. It's still in print. I still get a lot of speaking uh, invitations on the basis of monitored peril. <clears throat> in fact, uh, in late September, I have an invited speaking appearance at the University of California, Berkeley, which uh, is about 100 miles from where I am at, in Davis, which to give your uh, viewers uh, an orientation is very close to the capital. <coughs> Excuse me of the state of California. And this is an anthology. Uh, its unique contribution is that it, it takes um, Asian American independent media quite seriously. This is a, a still on the cover from a, one of the early independent films. And one of the guys that came out of this, um, excuse me, my throat is raw <coughs> from speaking so much. Sure, of course. Take your time, Daryl. Yeah. One of the uh, persons who managed to uh, cross over into the big time was Justin Lin, who did the uh, Fast and Furious uh, franchise. But he came out of this milieu. So if that's something that you, you want to do. Um, you know, independent media is really uh, your stepping stone if you want to do that. For myself, I'm, I'm content with doing independent media and independent scholarship. I'm at the university, yes, indeed, but I've always maintained that indie mentality and that independent hunger that I try to communicate and relate to my students. And again, this is not consistent with what the University of California or other institutions want. They want a culture of dependency. They want students, they want young people who are dependent on welfareism and welfare state. And they do this through psychological, which I'll get to in a moment, psychological manipulation. They get it through the psychology of ethnic victimage, or they call it these days mental health disparities. In other words, what I'm leading to is that um, my job was to try to make students feel bad, <laughs> Asian American or otherwise, make them feel how horrible the society is, the culture, the political economic system, so that they'll be more uh, amenable to going into it without any sort of critical thought. So I'm uh, just really kind of gumming up the works here in that respect. And these are all uh, observations and comments that I've had for the past 10 or 15 years, wondering why I can never get a merit or promotion while doing uh, an incredible uh, amount of work. I've been highly productive doing innovative, as you'll see even more uh, further on. 
scholarship as well as creative projects. And I'm, I'm keeping, I'm still doing that. And I'm more, this is the good part in advance. I'm more energized than ever to maintain and to extend that in, indie attitude into my daily life, my professional life. I'll talk a little bit more about it later because academia is in crisis. Uh, it so happens that people like Professor Fetzer and others we know and myself were sort of the uh, canaries in the coal mine, so to speak, who were being gassed early on. Um, but now we're, we're seeing larger numbers of people in academia who are going to be targeted for uh, elimination. In fact, the, almost all of the professoriate, about 90% of the professoriate, will be gone according to the master plan that's being uh, ruled out gradually. And I tell my colleagues this, and that only makes me uh, more um, suspect in their eyes because I'm telling them the truth, and no one wants to hear uh, the bad news that they're obsolete. So they should uh, check out other uh, intellectuals and um, uh, scholars and writers and journalists and filmmakers and musicians and producers and just uh, cultivate the, the indie attitude because it's uh, important to your survival. Anyway, that's a message for the, your younger listeners who are still trying to figure it out. Working for corporations for the birds, whether it's for uh, Apple, the University of California, or any large-scale institution, they do not have your best interest in mind. They don't even have your least interest in mind. You're just, you're just uh, a tool to be used. And that was my uh, function. Entertain the students so that they get some sort of uh, temporary uh, ethno rush out of it and then not leave anything uh, changed as a consequence. All right, Stephen, we may go to the next graphic, if you please. I'm a serious researcher. Some of your viewers, some of the people who are watching this conference may recognize the person on the left as none other than Asia Carrera. She was an adult film star, uh, probably the most uh, recognizable, most popular one through the late 80s and 90s. And when I was doing the groundwork for my research, and I'm really serious about this, I went to the video stores, the adult video stores. A lot, most of them are gone now, unfortunately, just like the adult theaters are no more, uh, thanks to the internet, or you can blame the internet. And uh, I met her. I gave her my business card, and I told her that I wanted to write her biography. And she told her assistant to hang on to the card, but I never got a call from her. But she's uh, she's a brilliant uh, individual. Uh, she got a full-ride scholarship in, I think, sociology to Rutgers University, but she also wanted to explore her sexuality, and she did that by becoming one of the most popular adult film stars of all time in America. So I was doing uh, a survey of various uh, Asian-American adult stars. I'd go up and meet them, contact them. Another person was... Um, uh, let's see, what, what was her name? Annabelle Chong is her stage name. I went to go see her at a show in San Francisco. And San Francisco, historically, even today, has a very uh, robust um, adult uh, nightlife that I built myself of. So I went to meet her and talk to her and got to know a little bit more about her world. And there was a documentary made about her later on. Uh, I think it came about ten, out about 10 years ago. And I met other uh, stars as well. And this is, by the way, part of the way that they make money while going on the road. They, they take photographs with people, uh, Polaroids, and they charge you a few bucks and they'll autograph it for you. 
So it says, Daryl hugs and kisses, love Asia. <laughs> so this will make more sense as we, we move along here. So out of this, Stephen, if we could have the next graphic, out of this uh, gestation period, I wrote an article that was published in the uh, New American Political Science. This is a, a uh, legitimate uh, political science journal for specialists in that area. Uh, I was an editor there for a while. That didn't, wasn't what got me in there. Uh, they thought it was a provocative piece, and there was some eyebrows raised. Well, gee, this is a serious academic journal. How can we, how can we defame uh, Amy Tan by by doing a play on the words of her her best sell, uh, selling piece of fiction called the Joy Luck Club? You get it, right? I'm a punster. And I, I use a bit of uh, Ersatz philosophy. I use prolegomenon to an Asian American porno practice. So my whole argument there is on the basis of what I was learning in, this, the, in, in the classrooms, the students were complaining that they weren't being represented on TV and on film and in the, the mainstream media, the corporate-controlled oligopoly media. And I said, well, the obvious solution to me is that uh, – we should, uh, especially men, by the way, and there's still a, a, a large degree of that discrimination against Asian American man, um, males and Asian men. Black men, uh, on, by contrast, are overrepresented in the media. But hey, you know, again, I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to maintain the independent uh, route, and I'm not going to depend on corporate America unless they want to. Uh, to come to me. In fact, I've been talking to people who are at a really high level uh, new media content providers, which I can't tell you about now, that I'm pitching shows uh, to. And one of them is going to be one based very much about my experience at UC Davis. So you might see me on, I'll leave the blanks there, <laughs> in about two or three years, five years maybe. That'll be my story. Anyway, so I wrote this academic, let me get a sip of water really quick here. Sure, of course, absolutely. So I wrote this article, and you'll never, you never know, Jim, you know this, you never know what, what long-term impact your, your so-called serious work might have on somebody. But apparently, I, I know this, this article is read all over the um, country, and not just Asian American studies courses, but in film studies, media, and uh, filmmaking, film schools, they read this. I still get queries about this. And I said, listen, I'm on to some different areas now. I'd be glad to talk about it. But anyway, this is sort of like what really brought me into the national consciousness, uh, <clears throat> not just in academia, by the way, but in the mainstream media. I was on The Daily Show. I made it into a monologue and a skit of The Tonight Show, hosted by Jay Leno. And what else? Uh, Write-ups and newspapers. I mean, it made a really huge national. And that's what I'm about. I didn't want to just describe the popular culture from an academic, scholarly perspective. I wanted to transform the popular culture. And this was one of my first attempts. And I'm still doing it, by the way. I'm going to really transform it because there's so many, there's so much clutter right now. I see that not as clutter but is gold waiting to be harvested by people like me. There's so many programs, HBO, Netflix. Uh, they're all getting into the game, challenging the, the new model, and I see that as an opportunity. That's a pep talk for the younger viewers who, who, who I'm encouraging to watch this uh, presentation. Anyway, so this article's been well-read. Um, students have been reading it, and then later on, lo and behold, 
uh, years later, Stephen, if you'll do the honors to the next graphic, please. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about this. Uh, yeah, this was done by one of my students. He became a filmmaker and says, wow, I really liked your lectures, and I especially liked your, your essay, your theoretical piece. And he says, I want to make a movie about, you know, your work, and not just writing the theory, but doing the application. So I did indeed do a, the first uh, all-Asian-American erotic film. By the way, as I'm doing this, I have all these haters you know, in my department, who don't do anything. They don't write books. They don't do articles. They can barely teach. They can hardly string any thoughts, coherent thoughts together. But they're really good at uh, flocking with each other to prop up their own weaknesses and vulnerabilities and insecurities. So I'm flying at this level. And, and that's cool. I mean, it never bothered me until recently when I realized that they were just all those years trying to build a case on me and waiting for an opportune moment to really put me out. And they thought they had it when Katehi, who is the chancellor of UC Davis, went after me. And I'll get to that in a moment. Anyway, so there was a documentary made uh, about me. It was shown at various film festivals. It's still being shown. It's shown all over the country in academia. I get recognized at film festivals. and People are staring, looking at me. I go, what are you looking at? And they say, oh, yeah, weren't you in Masters of the Fellow? I say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was like in 2003, <laughs> 2004. So you can see I have much too fun in my work. And uh, Professor Fetzer, you know that when that happens, your colleagues hate you. <laughs> in addition to that, the students love this stuff, as you can imagine. I, I am by far one of the more popular professors, not just in my department, but in the UC Davis campus, until they had to hire the administration, and my department had to hire a student affairs officer to, to, to pull these students out of my classes by starting a whispering campaign, defamation, targeting, harassment, and also throttling my enrollments. So I was down to four or five students in my media course when I used to have, you know, up to 200, 250. They were running a guerrilla campaign against your courses? Oh, yes. Yeah. And this is, uh, this is germane. I mean, this is relevant to, to our discussion today. This is some of the dirty tricks, ladies and gentlemen, that they'll, they'll run on you. All right. But I'm here to tell you, if you have the skills, if you have the fortitude, the guts, that is, if you have a little bit of the supernatural, if you will, the spirit world on your side, you will prevail. And I did, and I am, and I'm not through yet. Because all these people who are harassing me will find justice by and by. Anyway, that's not a threat. That's just a promise. I'm resolved to do that. A I'm integrating that as part of my prediction. Pardon me? A prediction. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not it's a threat or a promise, a prediction. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've already seen it happen. It's already unfolded in my eyes. And I, I know exactly how it's going to go down. I know exactly how Katehi was going to go down. She recently had to resign. This is like a month ago, right? She thought she had me over a barrel with my pants down. With her, her, uh, her henchmen ready to sodomize me, just like in the movie Deliverance. But see how it changes? See how it changes? And that's the spirit of independence that I'm trying to get out here in today's presentation. Because I'm not about here trying to perpetuate victimage and victimhood amongst, uh, amongst academics, amongst scholars. There is a way for you to push back. 
and it comes from multiple angles. I can only cover a few uh, today, but there's all kinds of strategies. And please don't call me asking for them because I get all kinds of queries from a lot of really weak people who need to work on themselves before they ever approach me. Right? Get your skills together before you talk to me because I can't hold your hand through your little crises. Um, and I'm not trying to minimize them. I've, I've been there, but I'm just trying to tell you straight up. I'm not interested in anybody's problems other than mine at this point, okay? I've given my career, I've sacrificed a lot in order to help people. Um, so I'm, I'm focusing on myself and trying to preserve my own career and extend it and take it to a new um, dimension, which as I mentioned, uh, these people will be profiled in some of my independent projects if some of the deals that I have going on. Uh, come through. But you've seen Game of Thrones, you've seen Marco Polo, you've seen all this really great content coming from different channels right now. Okay, that's my world now. That's my world. And you, when you uh, calculate how many university graduates there are out there, including media executives, they had to go to school at some point, and including current students, we have a huge market that want to hear what I'm sharing with you today, Professor Fetzer. You and your audience, there's a great deal of drama and theater that's inherent to what I do and who I am and how I've tackled these problems. And I think there are millions of people in America and around the world who want to see HBO, Netflix, uh, Lifetime Network, or any of these other new outlets that want to hear this story. All right? So next. I'm not through yet. This is, all, this is only the beginning of my, my uh, conquest, if you want to call it that. I was watching... Um, Marco Polo the other day. It's a pretty good series. <clears throat> of course, Marco Polo is the hero, not Genghis Khan. It's, they've got it reversed. And maybe it, it goes back to the masters of the pillow argument. You've got the Khans and, who had this huge land-based empire that the world has never seen. But who is the series named after? It's Marco Polo. They should have called it Khan. Anyway, that's my suggestion. Stephen, if you will, the next one. Next graphic. Uh, I've also had a career. And by the way, the university doesn't matter if you're anti-anything. You could be anti-Miller. They expect that. You can be anti-racist. You can be anti-homophobia. They love it. The more anti you are, the better it is for them because they just use the principle of, of wushu or kobudo. That is, they use the, energy, uh, the enemy's energy against them and let them just punch themselves out. So when I publish my uh, essay in anthologies like this, uh, it doesn't matter. In fact, I was getting promotions and merits on this type of stuff. Where it really went south is when I really figured out what the university was about. Then I said, aha, you figured out our secret. You're no longer our token oriental houseboy. You figured us out. I'll get to that in a moment. So this is one of the, the books that I was anthologized in. And it was about serial killers, by the way. This is before Dave McGowan and the people who've written about serial killers. I had a, uh, an insight saying, hey, America goes around the world since, since really the end of the 19th century with the conquest of the Philippines and continuously have been victimizing people on a huge scale. No wonder we're the capital of mass murders and uh, serial killers and spree killers. It's blowback. Right? It's what comes around, goes around. That was my argument. 
Uh, and again, it's another landmark essay connecting the history, the culture, and the society of American imperialism and empire and genocide with all these seemingly random crimes that are taking place, which we know today are not random. A lot of them are being orchestrated and controlled by the intelligence agencies. That's another discussion. Anyway, so I'm just telling you, I'm, I keep producing these types of incredible essays. Daryl, when you mentioned about your list of antis, an exception would seem to be anti-Semitism. I don't think they even mind that as well, because it's all about controlled opposition. For example, at my university across the country, there's this whole upsurge of uh, bash uh, Israel and bash Jews and blame everything on the Zionists and the Ziocons and the neocons. Yeah, they're a big factor, but Hey, at the same time, listen, I'm an Asian American study. I see a, a threat coming from China, the Chai Coms, you know. I see a threat coming from, from other forces. Uh, and, and they're all, maybe to our benefit, they're all kind of fighting amongst each other at higher levels trying to... Uh, I do uh, believe that the, yeah. that the role of the neocons, most of whom are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens and who were through Project for a New American Century promoting, even planning the events of 9-11 is becoming increasingly exposed. I agree with that, Jim. That's already 15 years old news, though. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I'll just uh, give you that one proper name, which I think is much more important for us today in 2016. All right. And this might win us some friends in the, in the Ziocon lobby, because they are a problem. I agree with you completely. But let me give you the proper name of one person who we need to look at and her network, including her mother, her, her parents, and the people who subsidize. Her name is Huma Abedin. Does that yes. ring a bell? Yes. 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 That's where I'm at now. And I figured, and this, by the way, got me in trouble. You see, I figured that a lot of the anti-Israel, anti-pro-Palestinian um, you know, cause, I think they were also being run by Zionicons. You see what I'm saying? Controlled opposition. Yes. So we still see a lot of games within the games. And I only come to this new level of awareness by reading books and articles and watching YouTube presentations by Professor James Fetzer. Amongst many others, you're not the only, but there's tons of people out there. It's the alternative viewpoint that got me to think on this multi-dimensional, three-dimensional, four-dimensional, five-dimensional wormhole view of social political reality. And this is what I want to teach my students. And this, as I was alluding to earlier, is what got me in trouble. Because as long as you can just focus on one singular, one-dimensional enemy, anti-this, anti-that, the university says, great, here's your promotion, you token oriental, Professor Hamamoto, Asian American Studies. You say, here's your merit, here's your promotion. Just love it, thank us, lick our hands for it. Just keep doing exactly what you're doing. But once I broke through that methodology, Professor Fetzer, and again, thank you very much. <laughs> you're one of many, but, and, and Kevin McDonald, who'll be on soon, all these people. I mean, I read them, I study them. I may not always agree with them. And he's got his hobby horse, right? He's got his, his particular focus, which is, you know, that's fine. His prerogative, right? Daryl, I'm fascinated by the extent to which you felt you were a token oriental or a token. Yeah, I don't mean that just to be complaining. You know, I, yeah. I, in my experience, someone of a different, you know, background, genetic, ethnic, and so forth, is esteemed by the academy and, and colleagues I've had in the past. I would never 
have suspected that you would have been treated in such a fashion as you have described. It, it surprised well, me. And it's, of course, enormously disappointing. Of course, it's the reality. And uh, this is something that I knew 20, going in there 20 years that they had a certain job, they meaning the uh, academic establishment, they had a certain job attached. Just like you see, you know, you go to the pharmacy or the hospital, you see nothing but Asians, right? A lot of them. Same with IT. As long as you stay in your little ethnic niche, you're okay. But once you start looking at the larger picture, and that's coming up right now when I talk about conservatives of empire, then they said, oh, he figures out something that we didn't even know about. So I'm, I'm not saying this, uh, by the way, about I'm just kind of being facetious about me being the house oriental because I really don't care, man. I'm, I'm way beyond that. So I just say that as a form of self-mockery because I'm much bigger than that. Well, right. you've obviously accomplished a very great deal and been very influential within your areas of research and investigation. And outside of my that, areas of interest. I, 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 I should think that... Uh, you see, Davis ought to be extremely proud of your accomplishments. I mean, you're doing very original work, and you're, you're bringing about a reorientation of focusing on issues that otherwise slip under the radar. It seems to me you're doing, uh, you know, pioneering, even path-breaking work in these areas, and that uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that UC Davis isn't, isn't just, uh, you know, expressing its esteem for your accomplishments. Well, they will eventually when I start bringing in some big bucks from overseas and saying, hey, you want this money? Get off my back. But uh, to answer your question, you saw an earlier graphic. You saw the Illuminati egghead with the little eye and all that. Yes. And that's, I've, I'm gone into that direction. I teach it. And then they say, oh, we don't like you anymore because now you understand that we're an occult institution. <laughs> and most of this stuff is hocus pocus. It's smoke and mirrors. Most of our research is bogus. It's most all these dollars that are coming in are mostly to pacify certain targeted communities or they're to keep very smart people preoccupied into fake science instead of the real stuff. Once I started talking about that to my students, many of whom are going into IT or in the sciences or the STEM areas, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, once I start bringing it down on that level to 18, 19-year-olds, it just completely, completely boggles their minds. And they, those reports started coming back in from snitches. And they said, he's demoralizing. Just a few, a couple of most of them like it. In fact, they, they appreciate that I'm upfront and honest with them. But when the university hears that, that undermines their whole house of cards. Daryl, I'm extremely interested in your characterization of universities as a occult institutions. I'd very much like you to elaborate on that. Right now? Yeah, you can now or okay. at the... Uh, let's, say, let's save that for later. That's uh, going to be a great... That's going to be a graphic novel of mine, and also that's going to be a theme. I also do music. I'm a music producer. I'm a music writer and lyricist, and I have a, my whole home studio doing videos as well as audio, and I don't want to give away too much on that yet, but that's a huge theme for me, the occult university. Fair enough. really talks about that. They will eventually. They'll catch up to me. I'm always like 10 years ahead of the curve, but now with the Internet, YouTube, and uh, independent productions such as this, that time uh, lag has closed from, from 10 years to about two years now. Yes. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to get my justice uh, now instead of at the end of my career or posthumously, as well as I'm going to get a huge play right now instead of 10 years from now.
the horizon. And this is what I told you about earlier. I alluded to about the, the revolution in new media. That's what's making it possible. I, just as you're doing now, right now, at this very moment, going directly to an audience, right? Going rec- directly to the people, to a constituency. We all can do that now, right? So I don't need the university. I'm going around then. I, I'm, I'm, it's a, I'm, I present an existential threat to the way the university has been doing business for the past 1,000 years. The ancient university, the, the modern institutions going back, let's say, 600 years. All right. University of California, it's like it's a 19th century institution. It's a newbie compared to places like Harvard or Yale. Uh, but they still run under the same occult principles. I mean, the University of California, uh, one of the early presidents, the second or third president, um, uh, was the Skull and Bonesman. He, he was sent out from Yale to, to uh, be the great helmsman for the University of California, right? Totally into the occult. He was a member of the Bohemian Club. You, you know about the Bohemian Grove and all that. The University of California is all about I mentioned that because um, – uh, we're going to talk about it if I have the time at the very end because the students are inducted into occultism at a very early stage in their education here and they begin to see it as being normal. And it's being done through what I call mind control, Asian American mental health research disparities. That's how they do it. They're doing it through the pseudoscience of psychology and psychiatry in order to do it to uh, the young people. See, when I was growing up, you know, I'm a product of television, and you know this, Jim. So when we were watching television, psychiatrists and psychologists were an object of ridicule, right? Like on the Sid Caesar show or Milton Berle, or there was always some crazy guy with a German accent who was being made fun of. But today they are our sacerdotal priesthood, these so-called scientists of the mind. And it's all built on fraud and deception. And it's as, the psychology of the psychology is as old as the first shaman who realized, hey, I can really pull one over on these people. I'll just create a fake miracle, and they'll, and they'll put me at the top of their little pyramid scheme. So if we can move on, Stephen, we'll talk about the occult maybe shortly. This is the essay, Empire of Death, Militarized Society, the Rise of Serial Killing and Mass Murder. Look at the date on that, 2002. And these little staged events and these, uh, these um, uh, as we well know, most of the ones that happened since 9-11 have been staged. I won't go into specifics there. There's no need to. It's consistent. It's bec- become part of the modus operandi of the, of the military industrial state. But you know what? When I break that down to students, they lose the fear of it. They don't see any one group A, B, or C as being responsible for it. They see a MO in place that I can point to and break down and trace back historically to our own history. For my students, for example, who are Vietnamese Americans, who are Cambodian, Laotian, Southeast Asian Americans, whose families are refugees from these countries, I can say, hey, listen, your country was bombed back to the Stone Age by your supposed allies. More bombs were dropped on South Vietnam than were on North Vietnam. And that whole war, and I don't say this to mean any disrespect to our veterans and to people who sacrificed their lives, their careers, and their sanity to this war. This, this war was unnecessary, and it was the product of these elaborate uh, social engineers and game players and bankers, of course, at the very top that fund these uh, types of enterprises. Anyway, this even at 2002, though, I was still kind of blaming the NRA and 
uh, gun culture in America for being responsible. I've since revised my opinion, and, this, and I'm saying this because this, again, gets me in trouble at the university, which is a gun-free zone, except if you're at the University of uh, Texas, which I'd love to teach at, even though they are part of a, uh, an occult Illuminati system like all the other institutions of higher learning. Well, even in the wake of the Orlando, which actually was a staged event as well, many Absolutely. realize that they need to be able to shoot back. That if Absolutely. You're in the zone, you're a target. In fact, you know, surveys have been done of populations of whether they'd like to have a sign in front of their home that says gun-free zone. Exactly. Seems enthusiastic about doing that. And not to put in an inappropriate pun, but it's backfired on the engineers who thought this was going to scare us. Now, America is such a powerful, independent, indie culture that's used to self-defense and used to its own productivity and self-activity that the people overseas, probably the city of London or in Brussels who war-gamed all this, they didn't really understand who we as Americans are, our character, our heart. So they miscalculated. They thought we were that people from the from country A, B, or C who could be exfiltrated into the United States to, to execute these staged events were going to scare us. No, it's educated us. And I'm sorry for the people who died in these events, but they help us to re- to really refocus who we are as a people and to understand the larger framework in which these events are taking place. And that's your job and my job and the people who are part of this conference and others who will mark my words within three to five years, what we're doing here will be establishment academia, Professor Fetzer. Within three to five years, it's going to be orthodoxy. So let's, let's stay ahead of the curve. All right. Let's start talking about Huma Abedin instead of um, uh, APAC or um, I mean, they're important. Right, but let's talk about some of these other organizations. And I'm reading up on it. I'm pedaling as fast as I can on my bicycle to try to to, to do the research on who Huma Abedin is. And by the way, all that information was broken on indie media. It was broken on the independent media that yeah. has gone around the corporate uh, cordon sanitaire that they erected around the population. So if we can move to the next one, sir, <clears throat> because I'm running out of time here. I was, the, I was in a, some uh, award-winning documentaries, a slanted screen is about Asian American men. I was in there, according, uh, along with a number of uh, famous Asian American uh, stars. Daniel Day Kim, for example, was in there. Jason Scott Lee has interviewed a number of people, and I was put in there as, a, as an authority talking about Asian American men in film and television. Uh, I don't care if Asian American men are in corporate film or in television. If they can, more power to them. Uh, Daniel Day Kim, I wish you a long and, and productive career, but that's not my, my focus is about doing my own projects, and most of them aren't ever going to be supported by CBS, ABC, or NBC. Uh, they want Jersey Shore or some other debased type of uh, so-called unscripted shows uh, in order to narcotize the population. Stephen, Stephen, Stephen has a question for you, Daryl. Yes, sir, Stephen. Yeah, um, Daryl, I'm really interested in the forces that uh, keep students or, or just anybody from challenging the forces that you're talking about, the Illuminati and whatever. And, and on the other side of the fence, what stops uh, the administration of the school from coming into your uh, classroom and dragging you out? And uh, I'm interested in, and obviously a lot of it is just uh, the civil, civilizing of, of humans. Yeah. But 
but uh, I, you know, I really like to hear your opinion on uh, about how to get people to challenge the system. Uh, there seems to be so much. Well, I've spoken disparagingly about my colleagues, but I'd say, I'd say about 90% of uh, ac academics, including people the, at the illustrious University of California, they're dogging it. They're not doing any work. There's about 10% of us who are doing all the work. Most of them are saying, my God, I'm glad I got tenure. And they do go to sleep. They don't do anything but politic and, and sit around scheme about, hey, how do we screw over Amamoto there? What are we going to do to get into his head? You know, that type of stuff, including these administrators. So it begins with the professoriate. They're to blame. If their uh, institution is crumbling around them, it's on them. They, uh, I've, I've given them for uh, warning, and I've, I've given them my assessment. So I, I'm not going to worry about them. We're in a triage situation here. I'm not going to focus on that one-third of, of people who are salvageable, and that's our young people. That's going to be my – that is my audience. And that, that's where my shows, my music – my videos and my independent media programs are focused on them to show them a way. I said, hey, I'm doing it. This is, I'm going to educate you on, on, on the hidden knowledge that the university doesn't want to um, uh, present to you because they want you as a corporate drone working for Monsanto or Syngenta or one of these other uh, large-scale corporations that um, are really part of the eugenics complex. Right. Right now, neuroscience is big. There, uh, there's a big inflow of bright minds going in there. And I just tell them in my, my class to say, listen, what is neuroscience? Where did it come from? See? So if there are more people like me, not, you know, personality, you might not like me on an individual level. But people who are asking basic questions like that, I think we might have a chance. But I think the university is too far gone. Right? And it, and it's, uh, and it, it knows it is. It's self-destructing at the very top on purpose. As sure as the Twin Towers fell on 9-11, the university towers are also crumbling. There's and a, most of the professors are scratching, gee, I wonder what happened. How come my pension's gone? But hey, you know, I, I told you, I broke it down for you. You didn't listen. It's on you. I told you my strategy. I'm, I'm pursuing other, uh, other avenues. And it's easier now than ever. All you need is a computer and a microphone. <laughs> And Even opportunities like this to get the message out. You so I don't have to answer your question. No, no. This, let me ask answer one question. They did it in reverse, and kept having someone come in and drag me out of the classroom. They had this alcoholic emeritus professor, one of these guys who never did anything in his life. They probably have some sort of blackmail information, and they made him attend every one of my classes for for the the past quarter. And then they he wrote a report on me. He's a snitch. He's a rat. And then they said, well, on the basis of the report that the rat wrote, you can't teach in the spring. Anyway, I've gone through this in other shows. I don't want to. Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. Yeah. Is that the case? Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. They violated my constitutional right. I think a lawyer will. Uh, How well, shocking. I, I do have a lawyer. But uh, remember I told you I'm doing this, this uh, show, proposal workup for a major media uh, corporate, but alternative. They're all jostling for eyes, right? That's going to be a big part of the story. You can see how much drama is in it, right? Because it, it confounds what they went through when they were uh, studying film and cinema at UCLA or USC or at NYU. They come out of that milieu, right? Or they were in business school, you know, at, at Wharton studying for their MBAs before they went to Hollywood or Silicon Valley. And they're hearing me saying this. is wow, this is really great. 
This is like the new house of cards, Panamoto. You're on to something. Let's keep up the discussion. And I said, yeah, let's talk, but you got to pay me because you're not going to pick my brains and then throw me outside and get one of your other writers to do it. I'm going to be the writer, and I'm also going to be the executive producer of the show, so I'll be an owner. Anyway, that's something else that we can talk about later. Um, so I'm doing the independent me. I know what it, it takes to make a movie, to edit it, to do the sound, to do the casting. I mean, I did it from the ground up. I had lots of help, by the way. No student help in the adult film. I'll say that. These are all people who are outside of the university. Well, Stephen and I are going to restrain ourselves because you've got so much you want to cover. Yeah. All right. Okay. All. Let me, let's go to the next one then. Let's grant, please. So here's one of the long-term influences I've had with that essay about doing Asian American porn. Now, this guy came out two years ago, and he got huge uh, write-ups, and not only in the Bay Area, but across the country, because what's notable about this guy, this is a stage name, obviously, Jeremy Long, is that he's what's called a double bear. Golden Bears is our UC mascot, but he's a graduate of the University of California at Berkeley, but he's also graduated from the University of California School of Law. And here's a guy who has pursued a career as an adult film star because he thought Asian, this is a way for Asian American men to get representation in the larger media and society by bringing attention to this. And guess who's responsible for inspiring him intellectually? Jeremy Lung, me, Daryl Y. Hamamoto, PhD, University of California, Davis, Asian American Studies Department, represent. By the way, Davis is a little small podunk farming town. It's like Hooterville. So you got these professors. They got PhDs. They might go to Italy every summer, and they might think they're cosmopolitan, but they're just small town, small-minded, village of the damned type people with PhDs. The staff are cool, though, but it's mostly the PhD time. Most of them like to live in Oakland or Berkeley because it's hipper, it's cooler, but they're all PC. And this goes back to Stephen's question, how do we change it? You can change it. That's their mindset. That's their culture. I'm just doing what I do. I'm influencing the younger generation like Jeremy Long. Let's move to the next graphic, if you please. Here it is. I won't have you read through it, but he name checks me. He, he said he was in a classroom. At UC Berkeley, he said he learned the work of Professor Daryl Hamamoto had produced a porn sort of as a research project, right? We talked about the theory. It says the theories of masculation of Asian males in the media, blah, blah, blah. And I don't really care because I don't care what the dominant media says. All I know is what Asian people are doing now, and they're doing quite well. Thank you. So please don't feel sorry for myself because I certainly don't. Anyway, so that's, that just goes to show you, as I mentioned earlier, the long-term effects of the scholarship and what we're doing today and what I've been researching as of the last uh, three or four years, New World Order Theory, that's going to have repercussions not only 10 years from now, but perhaps for 75 years into the future. And it might even help the university to partially resuscitate itself because all the makings of what is required to understand the university, as well as the larger society and the political system through my lens that I'm producing is already in place. There already is a robust humanities dimension in there, but they won't study the occultists. They won't study the religious traditions. There's religious studies, but they won't talk about the uh, Babylonian Talmud or some of the literature that we're familiar with 
just from watching YouTube. Anyway, next point, if you please, Stephen. <clears throat> so here's my, this is my recent book, and this is, again, I, you asked the question, what, what went wrong? You would think they'd be proud of me because I bring such notoriety to such a little second-rate wannabe uh, college called UC Davis. By the way, I'm being deliberately uh, insulting because they, they hate to hear that that they're second to Berkeley and they're a cow college or an ag school. But hey, man, you know, <laughs> if the shoe fits, wear it. I'm proud to be to have cow manure on my shoes. I go out and walk in the cow pastures at Davis every chance I get. I love the smell of the manure and all the farm animals, as long as they're not uh, genetically uh, modified animals, which is another question, by the way, <laughs> that I've gotten into and got in trouble for. So served as a vampire, I talked about how Asian Americans, as we alluded to earlier, are slotted into these little ethno niches, right? Just like you have certain groups in America who are slotted to being gangsters or being entertainers or sports heroes or, more likely than not, inmates at a federal penitentiary. And you've got other groups that are there slotted for doing uh, uh, off-the-books, uh, paid labor, undercutting the large. You know, you have groups like, for the Asian Americans, our slot is to provide the intellectual labor to build in the infrastructure of the new economy. But I'm telling my people and my students, listen, said, look what they did to the people after the 19th century when they, when they the industrialists, built the railroad across the country. They got rid of all the Chinamen's and they put legislation to prevent them from coming in. Said so once you lay in the internet and once you do every all this work for for um, for Tim Cook or whoever else uh, for for Ray Kurzweil or or uh, any of these other uh, new media moguls, what's going to happen to you? Well, maybe you should get into ownership. On the other hand, we have people like Jack Ma, right? He, he founded Alibaba, and I know it's an extension of the Chicom government, but he's an owner. He's in the catbird seat. And we're going to be seeing more of that, by the way, uh, from other groups uh, as well because of the, the dynamism of the new economy. Anyway, I wrote that book. Uh, they refused to give me a merit or a promotion on it, and I won't go into more um, pity party information on that. I don't care. The book's going to stand. It's, it's, a, it's already a, a contemporary classic. It's going to have a huge resonance for the younger people, the, the Jeremy Longs of the future. I'm going to have people come up to me saying, man, I read your book, Sir as Empire. It had a huge impact on my life, and I decided I wouldn't be a corporate drone going work to Visa or some of these um, legalized usury organizations or go to work for some GMO company. I decided to go indie and I'm living large now. I got a huge house. I got cars. I got ladies. I got everything. Thank you. I read about Servitors Empire. I didn't want to go down that route. Next one, please. All right. We all heard about last year, and I told you this has peaked out. We heard about uh, racial microaggressions. Here's the granddaddy of it. His name's Daryl Wayne Sue, and he's uh, from a, a family of brothers who are all psychologists. If they had a practice together, they would be called Sue, 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 or For Sue. And interestingly enough, every one of their wives are psychotherapists as well. Okay, what's the relevance of here? Well, he set up his brother in the franchise. I call it Panda Restaurants franchise. His brother named Stan Sue, he came to UC Davis into my department, and he hijacked it. 
he took a bunch of healthy Asian American young people and started slapping some pathology labels on this. Oh, you're a marginal man, or if they're, they're multiracial, you have this problem being a biracial. They, they just pathologized my students who are perfectly healthy. When I began 20 years, they were great. They were bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and they weren't on Prozac. They were going to conquer the world. They had all this energy, and they had jokers like this guy, these servitors of empires like Daryl Wing Sue and Stan Sue and his current boy, whose name is uh, Nolan Zane, and if you can move to the next graphic here, who are destroying the Asian American community. And guess what? They have counterparts in the African American community. They have counterparts in the Latino community, just as they have for every single demographic you want. There's probably some in the Arab American community, the Muslim American community, who are these social scientists who are figuring out how to screw them over. And they're doing it for grants and foundations and corporations. This looks like political correctness got a muck. It's weaponized political correctness, absolutely. Remember, we're playing a really subtle multidimensional game here. I sniffed it out. That's when I started getting the really, really big political repression and the anti-constitutional surveillance censorship and defamation and slander and libel against my name reputation. So this is one of his articles. This is what an academic article looks like, ladies and gentlemen. See, look at the subtitle, implications for clinical practice. So after you do the theory about how all we orient, that's why I kept on being self-mockingly calling myself a token oriental. I'm leading up to this. I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It bothers him you see, because he wants us to feel so sad and sorry for ourselves. And we're victims of racism. Help me, please. I need to go into therapy. I need to go to a clinic. So this is what they're doing. They're working for the, uh, the American Psychological Association, which has fallen on hard times. They're working for the pharmacy companies, which needs new pathologies for cures that haven't been even uh, fully under uh, workshop for, for, for imaginary uh, ailments. So that's why these guys get one point at my institution, they get $1.5 million for the National Institute of Mental Health to do Asian American. If we can go to the next graphic here. Next graphic. Oh, I'm sorry, we're, we're skipping ahead. Let's <coughs> go to her, her. This is my uh, principal antagonist here. Okay, if you can go back one more. Go back to the original. I'll just go with a sequence that we have here. You know what? Take the time you need to complete your presentation, Daryl. All right. You could always add it to this or you can present it. Oh, you're doing fine. That's great. Okay. So anyway, this is this person uh, got wind of me about five years ago. And she's part of the GLBTQA mafia. They're very proud of it. And the reason I mention this is because if, if you criticize them anyway, they'll say you're a homophobe. Right. Just like they'll put in a person of college, oh, you're you're anti-Latino or anti-black or anti-Asian, whatever. Okay. And I'm just being politically incorrect here. It's a GLBTQA agenda, which I've talked about at length for the past two years. And they've seen all my YouTubes. They have a spy organization on campus. Um, it's a media office on the fifth floor that, that monitors all this, which I'll talk about in a moment. Anyway, she uh a Compton attitude very early on, and I realized I was in trouble. Look at, look at, she, she's the, has been the chair, and she's in evolution and ecology. So right now, you, those are like, <laughs> you can tell she's already plugged into the dominant science framework. Evolution? I mean, that's going up for grabs now from what I'm reading, right? Charles Darwin, that whole legacy in ecology, we know how that, that started out pretty good. 
right? Ecology, Earth Day and all that. But that's been taken away. That's been stolen. It's been stolen by Al Gore and, and Gore and Blood, the investment firms, and by the science uh, establishment, right? The Greens, Agenda 21. So they have to put people like this in position, and she'll do anything in order to protect who she perceives to be her bosses. And I'm saying this because eventually she's going to be thrown under the bus. By the way, all these people that I've had encounters on, they wind up on crutches, not for me, but just thinking about me. And most of them are women, by the way. So call me sexist if you want. Next Kevin, one, please. Kevin, I'll be coming to you. All right. We're, we're, I'm, almost, I'm almost done, wrapped up here. No, it's all right. Kevin, we'll be coming to you in about 30 minutes. Oh, okay. okay. Thanks very much, my friend. Just fine. So even within the mainstream uh, media, she's been uh, criticized, not just by me. She's a white. Uh, this article characterizes her as a feminist careerist. That's what she is. That's part of the, uh, the GLBTQA mafia. They're basically careerists. They have nothing to do with gay or lesbian politics. They happen to be part of these groups, supposedly. But that's just a way for them to get over, just like it's a way for Daryl Swing Sue or Stan Sue to get over by selling out. Asian American young people to the psychiatric, the pharmaceutical, and the psychological therapy uh, establishment. So what that woman before the the slide before made her bones. She she got her way to the top because we're talking about the architecture by scaring uh, Larry Summers off from a dinner at UC Div. This is back in 2007. So by 2004, they said, "Oh, we're going to make you the vice pres uh, vice provost." for academic affairs. Now this is a person who's supposed to uphold academic principles and to protect people like me, but instead that's been turned on its head just like the upside down head in front of Marat Hall, and instead she's one of the principal uh, enforcers on that. Her reign of terror is coming to an end, just like Katehi's reign of terror came to end, and I stood toe to toe with her and her handlers and told her, listen, you better play it straight with me and do right by me. Here's my complaints. I've been screwed over for the past 10 years. I've been harassed. I've had my constitutional rights violated, and you've stood on, and you've condoned it. And I've had that same talk with this woman here. So they're all going down, not for me, but by, um, through the legal process, because we're and the society's tired of these people. Next graphic, please. We might skip it. So censorship, yes. Next one. <laughs> Sir, and I told, I used the term, I said, hey, I got snitches in my classroom. Are you sending snitches in? And she says, I don't like the way you use that term. I says, well, how about rat then? <laughs> so we're, we're, we're turning into uh, East Germany here. So yes. we're talking about Imperial Japan. They had that, what they call the Kempei Tai, the, the mind police. I said, this is a university. So she wrote me up, and from then on, she, you know, she knew that she had to put me out. And I'm saying, I'm still here. You're going to go before I do. You're going to drop. Please, next one. And I teach these uh, students not to be snitches as well because these are one of the, the uh, career paths that they have laid out for them, and the jobs are going to be professional snitches. GLBTQA agenda, I'm working uh, on an essay right now called Elite Sexuality, and my conclusion is, is that, uh, hey, you know, <laughs> at least in America, I'm just talking about the United States and a little bit about Britain, but at least since the post-war period, you have a, uh, an establishment in the arts, the science, the letters, uh, in every single endeavor you want to talk about that has a really good representation, if not over-representations, of gays, lesbians, transgender, right? So a lot of it is bogus. A lot of it is bogus. And where am I reading this from? From literature written by 
from gay publishing houses or gay-oriented publishing houses through books themselves. And, and, and I find out that people like Gore Vidal, he didn't want to be called gay. He didn't want to be branded as a homosexual, even though his preference was for men. And same with Tennessee Williams. That was their preference. It became a weaponized political issue when a, when a group of people said, said, hey, we can make a career out of this. Right? So that essay is in the offing. It, I don't know when it's going to be uh, published. It's ready to go. Um, it, I think it's going to be an anthology. We'll, we're, we'll see about that. So what you're seeing here is that a lot of this research that's being driven as a response to what's going on in my life and how I have these questions saying, hey, how come if I'm such a bad person, all the, and why if GLBTQ people are in such a bad situation, how come I'm surrounded by them and they're, they're the ones who are attacking me? Right? Because I'm a heterosexual oriental boy, I guess that's why, you know, in the old days, we were a big sexual threat to them. You know, I'm no threat to them at all. It's very strange they how amorphous sexuality is sort of, uh, you know, swept across the nation, perhaps oh, yeah. the, the Midwest, Midwest especially, but the East Coast and the West Coast. I mean, Absolutely. it's very, very strange. Oh, yeah. Well, it's part of a program. It's part of a national and an international program, which I go to it, to it in my, my academic essay. I, I address these questions, what happened. Because it's, as you know, nothing happens accidentally, right? It's all socially, politically, culturally. Most of it is engineered. Uh, this agenda is going out. We're tired, not just me, but the public in general. They don't want to hear about it anymore. And then uh, Milos Yiannakis, right, the guy that uh, was banned, the guy from Britain, he comes out as a classic, you know, liberal or conservative saying, you know, I'm tired of all this uh, political correctness. He was being harassed at, at college and university campuses. <coughs> so the public is fed up. I think a large parts of the organic GLBTQA uh, uh, community are fed up too. They don't want to have these people uh, building careers on their issues. They don't recognize them. They don't, they say they don't represent me. And I have students like that uh, themselves who refuse to uh, join these organizations, even though they might be gay or lesbian. They said, no, they don't really do anything. They just hang out at the student um, community center and, and, and plot their own little power trips. Anyway, next one, please, if you will, Stephen. Uh, well, yeah, that's Furby. That's uh, what we call a... Um, uh, effective artelect. Uh, this is just an example of the type of cutting-edge research I'm doing. Uh, this took hold an entire generation, and we're moving into transhumanism, posthumanism. My argument is that Furby and these uh, effective articulate relational artifacts are, are, are toys getting the new generations acclimated to living with uh, AI and robots, right? right? So Furby was an important stepping stone. And if we can go to the next essay, I'll go right through it. I'm reading, and along with my classrooms, uh, academic articles like this, relational artifacts, the complexities of cyber companions, right? Because the social scientists have already studied it and workshopped it, and they're going to implement it on a political level very soon, right? So I'm telling you, I'm on, the, I'm on the cutting edge. I'm on the leading edge of where we're heading as a society and culture. And then I, I mention this because one of my... Uh, uh, Inquisitor, she's an, a lawyer that local in Sacramento who the university hired in order to um, to berate me and to scold me and to intimidate me. She's another woman in her, her, her law office. It's mostly women, by the way. Um, she says, well, what does this have to do with Asian Americans? 
And I said, hey, listen, we're human beings. <laughs> and I said, a lot of this, this technology is coming from the Asian world anyway. Where do you think Furby came from? It came from Japan, right? They're into the robotics and these toys, uh, Tamagotchi, I don't know if this means, you know, years before. They're into Pokemon, you know, Pokemon Go, right, recently? This was workshops in Japan 10 years ago, and I know that, and I'm making something out of it. So this is the type of information that the handlers don't want to get out prematurely until they have all the mechanisms of control firmly in place. Next piece, please, because I'm running out of time. Rapidly. Okay, here's the graphic I told you about Asian American mind control. There's a whole research center funded by the National Institute of Mental Health. They get $1.5 million a year in order to slap labels on perfectly healthy young men and women, GLBTQA, doesn't matter, to get them into the system. Uh, and in my faculty office, we even have a psychotherapist there who does nothing but, but see students and then takes an account and a book and records and puts them into the system that will follow them in perpetuity, right? So it's also a surveillance uh, program. In the old days, they used to have confessions if you were in a Roman Catholic community. Now they have psychotherapists that are doing that. Or, and we have Google and all the other methods of data uh, assembly. So this is what's on my canvas. And I attacked this group, this particular faction, served as a vampire. And again, that's another reason. That's another part of the piece of architecture that fell off and hit me in the head. I'm still here because I'm a hard head. But they try to put me out by saying, okay, we're going to do this and this and this because you've called BS on our game. You're preaching health, awareness, love, humanity, and we're trying to promote alienation, racism, self-hate, racial microaggression. See the big, it's like day and night. It's 180 difference. We're, we're operating on a completely different uh, framework here. I'm operating on the principles of humanity. They're operating on the principles of archonic uh, pathology because these people come from a very deep, dark, and I won't get into a place that goes way beyond academia. That's a, a future uh, creative piece that I'll talk about. Just look at the pictures of some of these characters and you could read in, into their faces some, some really elements there that I need to go, go into. Next uh, graphic, please, Stephen. So all this is going on for the past five years. Katehi knew what was going on. According to my attorney, the, the, the talk was in Merak Hall, which is administration, that they could hardly wait till Daryl Y. Hamamoto, the little Oriental boy in little old Asian American studies ghetto, would... We, they could hardly wait for him to retire or die or get fired because he was really giving them all kinds of problems. But as we see here, this is an older graphic, but I think it was last month, Linda Katehi finally had to resign because of all the garbage that came out about her. She's a cheap, petty hustler that was taking money on the side. She was involved in all kinds of side action. So I use my researcher skills to research and investigate the investigators. That's, that's uh, an important orientation and tool, ladies and gentlemen. If you have to be in trouble, investigations work both ways. You have the internet, you have uh, students, you have colleagues, you have associates who have access to articles, information, you have staff people who are very valuable. I got a lot of good information on Katehi from people who work in her administrative office. You understand? Because I'm good to people. I respect every human individual, and they always appreciate that, especially when you have people who fulfill themselves, like Linda Katehi, who wouldn't even allow her underlings make eye contact with her when she walked through Merak Hall, and then they saw her. I think they probably pulled 
um, dropped a dime on her saying, hey, she's making all this money on the side. And they sent that information to the Sacramento Bee. And now she's back and, well, you know, she gets to keep the money, but she's back on the faculty. But in a, I, I don't know if she gets to keep her money, but she, uh, nothing really negative happened except to the insult to her reputation. Her husband still has a lecturer's job in the department. Her daughter-in-law still has the, the, the job in uh, Morocco. So the situation hasn't changed. But in the case of my immediate tormentors, right, my antagonists, they're all dropping one by one. And the, it, it's not over yet. Please, next graphic, if you will. Okay, before I uh, conclude here, I just want to show you that if you're involved with any sort of appeals, you want help from external institutions, yeah, make those attempts. But there are all kinds of organizations that operate as what I call lint traps. You know, like in your dryer, they collect lint, but they don't do anything. But they're there to protect the machinery, the dryer. And FIRE is one of the foundation for individual rights education. I found out that they weren't interested in my case. As soon as they heard University of California, they said, uh-uh, we're not going there. That's like fighting a sovereign nation. And it is a sovereign state within a state. It's like a country unto itself. And um, I mentioned this. I posted this on my Facebook. And then one of my Facebook friends said, hey, do you, I, I looked at their site on the basis of your entry, and they get all this corporate money. And that's when the, the penny dropped for me. I said, oh, I get it. Corporations run fire. The university runs fire. It's, again, another case of controlled opposition. And if you don't believe me, please go to the next page. Sir, here's the partly the financials, not the full books, but you can see that they got a lot of money coming in and not, not a lot going out. Right? Where's all this money coming from? Corporations, right? Including the University of California, perhaps. I don't know for sure, but it's coming from from foundations to act as a barrier for people like me saying, oh, yeah, we're listening to you. You have a case here. You're, but, you know, most of it's BS. So the bottom line is um, you got to do it yourself. Trusted friends, associates, find a good lawyer. And um, also be good to everybody you come into contact with because somewhere down the line they have some good juicy information they can pass on to, to me about Maureen Stanton or uh, Linda Katehi or uh, – uh, Susan Kaiser, you know, the, the dean, you know, all these people who are, um, you know, to get in that position, they have to compromise themselves. And there are people out there who know the full story on all these people, including, and the people in my department as well, who meant my antagonists. So I mentioned this because uh, lesson number two is don't do anything wrong yourself. Stay clean. Keep your nose clean. Play it straight. The reason why I've been able to last as long is because they tried to find every, every, anything they could that was bad and negative about me, right? Criminality, whatever. You know, harassment, nothing. I'm clean as a whistle. So they have to attack me for being incivil <laughs> or uncivil or being mean or because I told this one woman, a staff person, that she shouldn't be using her cell phone in a staff meeting. Little petty stuff like that. Daryl, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Also, I showed a, a clip in a, <laughs> in a class by Paul Joseph Watson called uh, uh, Sexodus. Right. It's a, it's a, there's a whole movement called MGTOW, men going their own way. And this is a class in sexuality. I said, this is what's happening in the large society amongst people who are maybe just a few years older. You have a whole cohort of men who are just giving up on women and dating and marriage and the whole deal. It's called MGTOW and it's called, and I said, I didn't give it the name. It's called Sexodus. They're exodus, exodus, or exiting the whole uh, romance and sex game. 
entirely. It's still going on to a certain extent. So this is part of my work. That's the type of uh, jive that they can get on me. I'm certainly not taking payoffs um, uh, under the table like some people. Uh, I'm not imputing uh, illegality to anybody. Let me just make that clear. You know, you'll get your come up and stuff. Whoever you are that think you're getting over on the public. Okay, next uh, graphic, please. We're getting towards the end, ladies and gentlemen. Bear with me. This is the beautiful, fairly uh, newly constructed. I think it's less than five years old student uh, community center, and it gets uh, Orwellian newspeak. It's not about community as well uh, at all. It's about dividing people into different groups. And there they have how. Remember, I mentioned earlier. I said I thought that the brains, the operation was Marac Hall, where Linda Katani had her office. This is really the site, and I think this is probably true of the rest of the country. This is the site that uh, where the attacks on on certain faculty members. This is where it's being coordinated out of. And these people now have um, uh, administrative standing. They're like vice provosts now. They some of them are 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 drawn from the academic end in order to attack the professoriate. So this is a new wrinkle that I want to leave you with, ladies and gentlemen, that, yeah, look at the administration, who the chancellor is, but look at all at these, these institutions that are out there that are supposedly student-focused or immigrant-focused or certain, they're, they're trying to provide some sort of services to students, whether it's, it's uh, remediation academically or psychotherapy or talks or conferences, but they're really the ones who are at the ground level of targeting people like Daryl Y. Hamamoto Oriental House Pet. <laughs> there I go again. Next one and final graphic. So how is this done? Well, here's where our storehouse of knowledge, Professor Fetzer, comes in into play. We all know about MK Ultra and the church committee, right? We've, we've, we've mastered all that literature, right? We've got newbies all the time who keep discovering the moon and come to me. Oh, did you realize there was something called MK Ultra? Oh, really? Yeah, God, that's really fascinating. You know, how that's really irritating. But anyway, you, we know this, but we do not know that these techniques, and they're much more refined now, are um, uh, put into operation and to play at these retreats. And this is through my own research and talking to students who have gone to these institutions. And just very in brief, this, it, it brings circle uh, to a complete circle, this whole occult underpinnings that we've been talking about. But this particular retreat is an annual event, which I've never been invited to. I volunteered to go there as a faculty presenter before, but they know about me through the defamation uh, harassment targeted campaign. But I've talked to students who've gone to these events, and especially people who've, who've not gone, fallen for the program, and they tell me the whole uh, three-day event starting from Friday afternoon to Sunday. They're all kept in a group, by the way. They can't drive by themselves. They all go into a bus. They all live together and eat and sleep together for two and a half days. And it's a giant mind control trauma-based mind control type of situation. I don't have time to go into all the techniques, but they do what's, uh, what's, what you and, and I and, and others have read about in the literature. I don't know if it goes into sexual abuse or not, I am, but there is some physical contact and some touching going on there. But my guess is that this is an intake job to find out the people who are most susceptible to taking it to the next level where they can go to small, more intimate gatherings where they can develop the new leadership cadre of red guards 
in order to enforce discipline or target people like me or to put across the Linda Kadehi, Janet Napolitano, Marine Stanton agenda. They're using students, vulnerable students, in order to, just like they did in communist China, right, with the Cultural Revolution, right, the whole sent down students, all the educated people, they sent them to the country and they started attacking intellectuals, artists, doctors. They did it in Pol Pot time, right, in Cambodia. Um, in Laos and uh, Vietnam, any and in, in uh, Germany they had Stasi. They had children informing Soviet uh, Union. They had children informing on the elders, respected people, priests, monks, you name it. So this same pattern is taking place at not just the University of California, but all over the country because it is part of a program. And I want people, I want the American public, I want the international public to know that this is what's happening to the, the new generation of educated young people, the people who are going into the profession of law, like Jeremy Long. Maybe you'll have a dual career as a perform, adult performer and attorney. I don't know. But also in, the med in medicine, the medical fields, in neuroscience, these are the people who are going to be entering into these fields that are going to be directing and guiding and managing our society very, very soon. But this is is how they are being indoctrinated to support, for the sake of convenience, uh, this, this comprehensive globalist corporatist order that is coming into play, this, this one world governance that we see in displays like the Bilderberg, that's old news, right? All this type of information that we know. We need to update and make specific these, these templates and show how they're being used uh, against uh, the most promising, talented, uh, inspired, and motivated young people that America has to offer. It's a tragedy. It's a crime. It's a great evil. It's a great disservice that we're doing to the young men and women of our American society at the universities. And I want to see it stop, and I'll do whatever it takes in order, including endangering my own career, in order to, to get this information out into the larger sphere, the public sphere. Whether you're a student or not, whether you're a parent of student or not, it'll have a huge impact on uh, American and world society. No, Hamamoto, I, I can't thank you enough for an utterly fascinating presentation, bristling with unique insights. Thank you so very much for your contribution to our conference. Professor Fetzer, again, I can't thank you enough for inviting me to be a part of it. I really appreciate it. And uh, we're going to prevail over this. I mean, you're... As one person, you, you've taken huge strides in order to take what you've experienced in academia to educate the larger public on a variety of topics. And you're one person, I'm one person. There are many of us. And there are going to be more within academia as it begins to crumble who are going to be coming forward and are going to be viewing me instead of being a renegade as being passé. <laughs> They'll say, oh, yeah, we, we knew that. Or they're going to come to me and talk about the new world order. And I say, oh, really? I've been teaching this for you know, uh, over a decade in the university. Daryl, you set an inspirational example. Thank you once Thank again. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you.